Welcome to Sex, Lies, and the Truth, a podcast devoted to the stories of people discovering biological family they didn't know about, digging for the truth, and learning who they really are. I'm Jody Klugman-Rab, a licensed marriage and family therapist with my own DNA story. My name is Christina Fitzgibbons. I'm a genetic and investigative genealogist. Today we are interviewing Catherine St. Clair, a lovely woman from Texas with the parental identity discovery for herself. What really sets Catherine's story apart is her drive to create a support group for other PID or NPE that has taken off in a totally big way. So thanks for being on the podcast, Catherine. Let's start. Well, thanks for having me. I think it's wonderful. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Thank you. Let's start with your story, if you would, because no two stories are the same. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> Uh, well, I was uh, the fifth born child to a, a couple who was married for 51 years. Good, solid marriage, good, solid background, happy childhood, not perfect. No family is perfect. There's dysfunctionality in every family, but I think for the most part, our family was probably on the low end of that. I was the youngest of five kids based 10 years apart total, an older sister and three brothers sandwiched between us and then me. My father had a strong work ethic. He took care of his family. There was no alcohol abuse whatsoever, no psychological or, or physical abuse or anything like that in my childhood. I was very fortunate compared to a lot of people yeah. that are in our group. That's a really um, nice beginning. Or not in your group, just people. <laughs> yeah, general. just people in general, right. And I recognize that. I mean, there were flaws, obviously. Everyone has flaws. But for the most part, I'm very, very grateful for the childhood that I had. When I was 12 years old, my parents became foster parents for the state of Arkansas and started taking in children that had been physically or emotionally abused and neglected. And they took in 63 kids over the next six years. And during that time, when I was about 13 years old, a little girl came to them who had been severely abused and was born very premature. Uh, when we got her, she was only 10 months old and weighed nine pounds. Mm. And my parents ended up adopting her. She has very severe cerebral palsy. The doctors told my parents that she probably wouldn't live to be more than about 10 years old because of how severe she was. So they decided they're going to give her the best life that she's going to have, knowing that someday they're going to have to bury her. Mm -hmm. They gave her such phenomenal preventive maintenance care that she outlived both of them, and I'm now her primary caregiver. She'll be 45 years old in May. <laughs> wow. wow. She is, she's wow. an amazing young lady. I'm so, so so grateful to have her in my life because I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for her. She's just an amazing person. That's amazing. That's a beautiful story. Well, thank you. So how did you discover your NPE status? I call it parental identity discovery. I am the amateur family genealogist. I've been doing it on again, off again for about 30 years. And all of my family, all of my extended family knows that I'm the keeper of the family record. So anytime anybody has a question about something, they usually come to me. And I really loved doing all the research and finding our families going back to Germany and to Wales and to um, Ireland. It was a lot of fun just getting all those records as much as I could. I was always very interested in taking the DNA test when they first started advertising it a few years ago because I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to get confirmation of all these ethnic origins that we have read about in, in the research that I've done? 
Right. My older siblings know that I am the family genealogist, and they know how important this whole subject matter has been to me. And they thought it'd be really cool to pool their money and give me a DNA kit as a birthday gift, which was a perfect gift, and I was thrilled to get it. Truly, so yeah. That's how I got the test. It was meant to be a very loving, fun thing for me to receive, and we even joked about the fact that uh, this is saving everybody money because they'll just have me test, and then everyone will know all of our ethnic origins because we're all same. <laughs> I've heard this story before. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as you can imagine, it didn't turn out that way. But when the test results came back, I was not at all surprised by anything having to do with the ethnicities that were there. Everything okay. was confirmed that I had in my records as far as most of my research was on my mother's side. I didn't get to go back so far on my father's side. But everything was in place that we expected to see. Hmm. Um, and it was eight months later that my oldest brother decided he was going to take the test along with his wife, and I didn't even know they were testing until I got an email from Ancestry saying that I had matched him. I even sent him a text first and said, I just got a, a notification that your test results came in. I didn't know you tested. He said, yeah, Linda and I decided we were going to do it together. So I went to look at the match, and I'd already determined from when I first got my results, that's when I saw that it matches you to people who also took the test. Right. And when I first got my results, and I looked at those matches, and I saw that they had them sorted by who you share the most DNA with. Right. At the very top of my list was a name all by itself in one category, and the category was close relative to first cousin. And this name was a name I was not familiar with, but mm -hmm. I didn't even have any yellow flags going up at that point because I thought, well, I've got over 20 first cousins. It's probably one of their children, and I didn't think anything of it. But then when my brother's results came in, uh, I went to see the match with him. And sure enough, there he was at that list at the very top, the um, close relative to first cousin category. But he was the second one in line mm -hmm. behind this person I didn't know. <laughs> so that was our first clue that something was not right because I thought, how can I share more DNA with somebody that I don't even know than I do my own brother? When you questioned that, how long did it went, take yeah. to sink in? I in think. my mind, in my mind, I rationalized that even though I have a great deal of respect for science, I rationalize, well, this isn't like a true DNA company. This right. is just a genealogical thing that's done for entertainment. It even right. says so. So maybe they only collected part of the DNA from these people, and they just happened to collect more from her than from the stranger than they did from my brother. So I was rationalizing it away, you know, that right. maybe they don't look at the entire DNA genome or whatever. They just picked up pieces of it. Okay. So, that was my first rationale. But then I decided I was going to go one step further. And I think it was maybe deep down in my psyche. Something told me, keep pushing on this. But I went into a chat mode with the uh, DNA customer service with Ancestry. And I asked them, I said, when people are looking at the matches, you know, people that are looking at my account, looking at my brother's account, and they're looking at the matches. Is there a way that I can put a note, a notation on the link between he and I, so that I can tell people who are looking at it, hey, this is me making this note, and I'm confirming Ancestry got this right. This is my brother. We are brother and sister. She said, no, there's no way you can – we don't have a feature where you can leave notes like that for people to see. Uh, you can just do your own private notation. Then she very gently – because I think she already figured out what I was looking at. I bet she Then did. she very gently explained to me about how the lab value is centimorgans and you share centimorgans and that the average for a full sibling is 2,600, and the average for a half-sibling is around 1,800, and guided me to my brother's name and said, see that little circle by his name, click on it, it will tell click you how much you share. <laughs> right. And at that point, my heart was pounding in my chest because I thought, why is she telling me this? She's telling me this because she thinks there's a chance something is not right. 
my heart was already pounding at this point. I clicked on that little circle, and 1843 popped up. Mm. And I looked at it, and I said, I typed back to her, it says 1843. And honestly, even at that moment, I was expecting her to come back and say, oh, except for the exception to the rule, which is blah, 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 blah. (laughs) You always want to be that exception, yeah. Right. I was expecting her to say something like that, but all she did was come back and say, that means he's your half-brother. I'm actually surprised that they did that. I wonder if they would do that now. I think they're trained to handle this now. So when she said that, I looked at my computer and just pushed my chair back, like, away from my desk. Like, I was trying to get away from the snake. I mean, like, physically, I wanted to get away from it. So I backed up and just stared at it for a second. And I didn't realize that I must have been holding my breath all that time. Because I looked up at the ceiling, and the ceiling tiles started swirling like there was no right angles to them anymore. Kind of like what you see on TV about an LSD trip. It's like the the ceilings went into liquid form and just started swirling around. And the logical part of my brain, you know, I I split everything logical being the adult and emotional being the child. Well, the adult in me said to the child in me at that moment when I looked at the ceiling, okay, that's not natural. It's not really happening. The fact that you're actually seeing this means you're about to black, black out, so you need to lay your head down on the desk. And I just started taking long, deep cleansing breaths, and the adult of me is going, nothing's changed. You're still the same person. You're still at work. Oh, this was happening, happening at work? Going on. Oh, gosh. Yes, I was at work. I was at home time at work. I was at work. Oh, good grief. Did you initially think it was something with regard to your DNA? And something with an NPE situation or your brother's, because it could have been either of you. At that moment, when I realized this is that we're half siblings, at that moment, it didn't occur to me which one of us is missing our dad. Got okay. I mean, I took for granted that we both shared mom, but my thought process had not even gone to that point yet. Right. And then when I finally uh, regrouped and I went back because there's this long silence. I wasn't saying anything to this woman. I typed back to her. I said, thank you. You've been very helpful. And she said, I'm very sorry. I know this isn't news you wanted to get this way. And I said, I suppose you see this every day. You know, I was trying to minimize how devastated I was at that moment by saying this is normal. She said, actually, we, we see several cases a day. And I always, she, and she told me later, we, we talked several times after that. And she told me that she always dreaded it when she would face one of these. But she said, I've always been very open and honest and factual when I speak to somebody in this situation, because I know if it happened to me, I would want somebody to be truthful with me, too. In answer to your question about figuring out who was who, it was probably within minutes after that that I started realizing it's me. I'm the odd man out because this person at the top of the list didn't match anybody, my brother at all. Yeah. (laughs) How far apart are you from the next sibling in terms of? age child number four and i are 20 months apart 20 okay so close in age okay um i have two half siblings one of them measures 1780 and one of them measures 1357 that's how far the range is between me and two half siblings all three of us have the same father different mothers but that's Mm. why i tell people there's such a huge it's a wild range it is. It's. I mean, my, my... Well, there's a wild range on mine, too, because yeah. I have uh, two new half-sisters who have tested. It turns out the one, the mystery one at the top was one of them. Wow. And I have 2172 with her. Whoa. Oh, so you are... Wow. Yeah. And she's the 80-year-old uh, that lives in California that, I don't know if you saw the Today Show appearance. Yeah. She has the same eyes I have. And then the other sister, Mona, the other half-sister from my father, and hers is like 1500-something, 1534, I think. 
the lowest people who have ever been found to be half siblings at 1300 and the highest being 2300 they get confused by the range and well it doesn't make sense i'm like well no that's just the way it works you know it's well it does make sense to me because i think if we yeah. delve deeper we could probably find that on my on Rayetta's side of the family her on her mother's side there may be some relationship to my mother oh there you oh. go yeah yeah. Could be second cousins or something, or third cousins, and maybe that's why there's a little more higher DNA. How did you tell your family? That was really hard. I'll admit I got a little bit paranoid because I didn't know if my brother, who had taken the test, had looked at it close enough to realize that we were half-siblings. So I didn't know if he knew and just wasn't telling me. My siblings and I, we all get along pretty well, but we're not real close. Not not about a lot of things. We, we have very differing views on lots of different things, so we just kind of keep to ourselves. So I wasn't sure if maybe he knew and he just wasn't saying anything to me. I found out on May 17th. That's that's the day the floor fell out from underneath me. And my little sister's birthday was three days later. And we all got together uh, at a restaurant the following weekend to celebrate her birthday. I sat there in the restaurant while everyone sat around the table. There was about 15 of us there. And I looked at my brother. I looked at my other brother. I looked at my sister. And everyone was just kind of chitty-chatting along. and like didn't have a care in the world. And the whole time I was thinking, do you guys know? Have you been talking amongst yourselves and said, just don't tell her? You know, I, I was paranoid. How long have you known? Anyway, did you already know beforehand or whatever? Sibling number three, his name is Marty. He lives with me. He's a retired, disabled Vietnam era veteran. So he knew. I told him the same day. Mm-hmm. And he was real worried about how my other two older siblings that we met with at dinner that night, he was worried about how they were going to react because he was worried about my psyche. He saw how much this hurt me. Aww. So we waited till after dinner. Because I didn't want to spoil my little sister's birthday. And when we came back outside to load my little sister up into the van with her nurse, as she was taking care of getting her all loaded in there, we are just standing there in the parking lot. It was interesting because we had two little conversations going at once. It was me and my three siblings standing in a circle. And then behind me was my daughter, a sister-in-law, and two nieces standing in a circle. And they were eavesdropping. I found out later, my daughter said they, they heard my conversation with my siblings. And they're like, what did she just say? <laughs> so my daughter's going, well, my mom has reason to believe, blah, blah, blah. But with my siblings, I was looking across at my oldest brother. And I said, did you look really close at the, at the connection between you and I on the DNA test? And he said, well, yeah, I mean, I looked at it. Why? And I said, how close did you look? He said, what do you mean? And I said, it turns out that um, I'm not your full sister. I'm your half-sister. He goes, what? And he picked up his phone and started to log in. My sister, who was standing to my right, said, what did she just say? My brother that took the test was standing in front of me, and he said, she said she's not my sister. And he's still poking around on his phone. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, I didn't say I'm not your sister. I said, I'm not your full sister. I'm your half-sister. And I said, I would not kid about something like this. Believe me, I wish it wasn't true. And then uh, my brother said, you're not kidding about this, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. I wish I was. He said, well, how do you know? So I explained to them what I found. And then all of a sudden, my sister said, it was that man at such and such store, wasn't it? Oh. Wait, she said it was a man at a store? They knew who it was. They already, they already had knew? an idea. Oh, why did they, they had an idea. And, they th- and I said, oh. I, well, I almost, I almost fell over. I, uh, I looked at my brother who lives with me because by then I'd already figured out who my biological father was. And I knew that he owned this store. I knew that my mother worked for him briefly. Mm-hmm. I already knew all this, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, until I had these results, I never knew my mother even worked at that store. I knew of the store. I grew up in that same town, and that store was there, but I never went in it. 
never knew that my mother worked there. It was never discussed in all those years. Nobody in our household ever discussed the fact that mom had ever worked there. It was like it, it, like it never happened. In fact, when my new sister told me that she found out that my mother had worked there, I said, no, you're mistaken. My mom never worked there. And she said, yeah, she did. So it was my own new sister telling me this. Wow. So now my my right. sister I grew up with said it was that man at such and such store, wasn't it? Did they? And I looked at my ahead, brother sorry. to my left that lives with me, and he and I both have just bugged out our eyes. And I said, oh, my gosh, it's true then. And then she said, well, I remember mom working there. And she said, and I remember her being really upset when she quit her job and she was crying really hard. Wow. I remember that. Wow. Um, so. No wonder no one talked about her working at that store. Because yeah. there was an upset at the end. I, I will say this. I don't know what the relationship was between my mother and my biological father, other than the fact that she worked there briefly and she quit. I don't know if there was a romance. I don't know if it was an affair. I don't know if it was an innocent flirtation that got away from her. I don't know if it was an all-out assault. I don't know. Yeah. And I'll never know. Because mom passed already. Everyone's gone. Yes. Okay. Do you... All I have is the clues of people who remember that era. Right. And this was one of the clues that my sister remembered. And she said wow. that right after mom stopped working there, she was so much happier after she stopped working there and that she and dad were very close. So I don't know what happened, but I just know that my parents had a pretty good marriage for 51 years and they never talked about the fact that my mother worked there. So I've got my own speculations, but it doesn't really matter anymore because... Right. What matters to me is that I've got two new sisters who have completely embraced me, and I see no point in speculating on the what-ifs of what happened with my mother and my biological father because all it could do is hurt them. Those siblings of yours through your biological father, were they during a marriage, a single marriage of his? No. The first one, Rayetta, is from his first marriage, and that marriage ended when she was only about a year old. And then her mother moved her out of state, and so Rayetta did not grow up with him or his influence in her life. Okay. He remarried and had two children from that marriage. There is a, a brother out there, too, but I haven't met him or had any contact with him. Not yet, anyway. I figure eventually we might. Mona and then her younger brother uh, were from that second marriage. And then that marriage ended, and then he married a third time, but he didn't have any other children that we know of from, from that marriage. But, okay. well, I mean, I know for a fact he didn't have any children from that marriage. That, that uh, widow is still alive. The daughter, the sister of yours from his first marriage... Has she indicated why she wasn't in his life? It was classic, typical for that era. I mean, she's 80 years old. Back then, when a a woman left her husband and took off with the kids, it it was very unusual that they would continue to co-parent. You know how that was back then. And she was in a different state. I think she took her off from Arkansas to California. She did not see him again until she was in her 20s. One of my questions was going to be, how have your family relationships been impacted? It sounds like not really negatively. No, not really. I I will admit I am a little disappointed because my siblings that I grew up with do everything in their power to sidestep discussing any of this with me now. That is Um, disappointing. I think that they may be a little bit embarrassed that I have been so public about it, but they haven't said anything negative to me. They haven't said, wish you hadn't done that. In fact, right after I got this news, my oldest brother said, this is your story to tell if you decide you want to tell it. But oh, I think that what brilliant. he was trying to say was, it'd make me happy if you didn't, but I respect you if you decide that you feel like you need to. And they have not acknowledged anything that has happened as far as national media. They don't even, they don't want they to haven't go there. even acknowledge it happened. I can relate to that. I've had family who's had similar responses, but they haven't been so magnanimous about it. They've decided to just remove themselves altogether. 
So yeah, I sense some detachment, but I don't think it's meant to be. I don't think it's a hostile motivation. I think that they just don't know what to do. When people don't talk about it, which we see, it starts to look like it's something bad about something current. Like it's just the story. It's just part of the story. It was so long ago. I think that more, the more people talk about it as just you know, a fact of, of something that happened. And it helps, I do think it helps more people come out, even with Jody. She asked pretty quickly after she had her news, does this happen? <laughs> Is this a thing? <laughs> Is this a thing? I go, oh, it's a thing. And I think it gives people sort of more motivation to find those answers and, and just accept them instead of not talk about them. You know, when you just said that she asked, me, did this happen? Is this a thing? It reminds me of one of our first days of our group. I literally broke down in tears looking at my computer when one of the members of our group said, is it okay to be angry? Oh. Like, we don't even know if we're allowed to have the emotions that we have because it's so foreign and we feel like there is, there's no normal to compare to. Right. So it is important that we And talk. yet it's been happening throughout human history. This is not new to the 20th century or the 21st century. This has been going on for as long as human beings have been having sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about your group, because you are the founding member of the NPE Gateway and NPE Friends and a variety of other subgroups that have popped up from that now on Facebook. In the uh, aftermath of my discovery, as devastated as I was, I had this very strong desire or need. I kept telling myself, something good has to come of this. It cannot be this horrible. I've got to have something good come out of this. I sidestepped into finding one other person who also had an NPE experience. And the two of us talked for three hours one night and realized that just talking to each other helps so much. I said, well, let's find four or five more people like us and we can help them and they can help us and we'll all feel better. So that's what motivated me to even create the group. And I actually set a very lofty goal of wouldn't it be great if we could find as many as 12 people? Uh, <laughs> because I, you know, like you, I, is this a thing? I figured if it is a thing, it's very rare and there won't be that many people out there. But as you know, it's not the case. We had over 100 people in the first week. Wow. And at our, at our one year anniversary, we had just over 1,000, which now- was last June. The end of June. Uh, so since June, we've gone from a thousand members to almost forty-seven hundred members. Oh boy! Yeah, which I think will only increase after the holiday rush to get the discounted at-home tests. I think so too. Yeah, it will. I think those uh, results will be in the next three, four weeks. Yes. is my guess. Great. So right now, the twenty-three and me and ancestry.com people are furiously trying to figure out how to train new people on how to break the news to callers who go, you got this wrong. <laughs> well, last I think last year they hired people just to process the tests because mm. they, they were so delayed. You know, the three weeks that it normally yeah. would take were taking six to eight. So this year they had another record number of tests from yep. all the testing companies. So I anticipate just after Super Bowl weekend, it's going to be another flood <laughs> of results yeah. coming in. If I remember correctly, I think that they said that Ancestry alone sold 1.5 million tests over Black Friday weekend. That alone, and knowing that the majority of those are in the United States, if 10% of the population has a not-parent-expected situation, which is a conservative estimate in my opinion, but that's what's out there, 
but let's just say for the sake of argument, 10%, that's 150,000 people who are going to have the floor fall out from underneath them. And if you figure that 25% of those are on Facebook, yep. that's um, 37,500 people. Yep. So you take that 37,500 people and figure that even if only half of them realize that they have this happen to them and they're on Facebook, they're going to come looking for some help. Yep. Yeah, they so do I start think poking it's safe around. to assume yeah. we're going to have about 10,000 people minimum knocking on our door in the next couple of months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are you prepared for that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't been prepared for any of this. Are you kidding? <laughs> I have a phenomenal group of people that are also members of our group, our moderators and our admins, who work feverishly. They wake up in the middle of the night and pick up their phones to see if there's somebody out there that needs somebody to talk to. Yeah, I was wondering how that feverishly. works to help keep this running like a well-oiled machine. So I'm very thankful for that. Wow. And they're all doing this as a volunteer. Everybody is. Nobody's made a penny off of anything that I know of. Where do you see the group going? Or groups, I should say, because there are so many of them now that are all interrelated. Well, the biggest focus right now for me is to do what we started out, our goal was, which was to provide emotional support to these people. So I'm hoping that this group will continue to thrive in that respect. We've also expanded to our regional groups so that there's a more intimate gathering statewide or in a region, like we have four or five regions in California and six in Texas. So if people want to have a more intimate conversation, they've got that opportunity as well. That's my biggest focus is that. Now, on the other side of it, the growth that is naturally occurring from this is that we have people who need DNA tests. And they need them to prove a paternal confirmation or in an adoption situation, either side. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you took the test, you find out that you're an NPE, you do the research, you find your biological father, he's still alive, you reach out to him, you say, do you remember my mom? Yeah, I remember your mom. Well, I think you're my dad. Well, I don't know if I'm your dad or not. I probably am not. Okay, well, you know what? If you'll just take a test and let me know, I'll go away. If if it's wrong, it's wrong. Well, yeah, sure, I'll take a test, but I'm not spending $100 on a test. Well, guess what? You don't have an extra 100 bucks on you right now to do it. So you can come to us. We've created this new nonprofit that is uh, the paperwork is being filed with the IRS as we speak to get our nonprofit status called NPE Friends Fellowship. It is created so that we can support the needs of the NPEs. We have our DNA test kit grant program so that if you're in a situation where you need a test quick because, you know, let's strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, exactly. You can contact us and say, I have this financial need. I can't afford a test right now, but I need to get this test done. Great. We will order it and ship it to that person immediately. Right. Sometimes it's not it's not the biological father we're testing. Sometimes it's a sibling right. that's saying, you know, I'll test. Or, right. you know, the biological father may be dead, and they're still needing to find out. So, yeah. so we, we try to accommodate that. Another program we have is what we call our travel grant program. We've had a couple of members who have been in situations where they have found their biological father. They live across country from them. They're planning to go meet them in person one day, but they have to save up their money for their trip. And in two situations so far, we've had uh, circumstances where one of them, his health suddenly declined and he started showing signs of dementia. And they said his decline is happening rapidly and she wanted to get to him quickly while she could still have a conversation with him, but she couldn't afford the trip yet. So she had saved up most of her money for the trip. She said, I'm not quite there yet. So we made a grant that helped cover part of her travel costs. We can't do the entire trip, but we can at least supplement a little bit. And once they show proof that they've made their reservations for their flight or their car or whatever it is they're doing, then we give them an actual PayPal cash grant to go towards that trip. 
And then we had another situation where the 89-year-old father was uh, going to have to have surgery. They said it's not major surgery, but he's 89 years old. He's going to have to go under general anesthetic. And the siblings who were who grew up with the man contacted the new MPE sibling and said, you might want to come now because he's going to have to have this surgery in two weeks. And you don't know how he's going to react to anesthesia. So we assisted her as well. So those are two things that we're doing right now. We have big plans in the future, too. We want to be involved in changing policy so that people who want to get their birth certificates amended and corrected can do it without it becoming a cost-prohibitive legal situation. We also want people to be able to get their names changed if they want to without it becoming as costly as it is. In the state of Texas, it's $450 to change your name. Wow. Um, and, it, and, it, and it requires a judge's order. You have to like go through court, which means you probably have to hire an attorney to do it. They do say everything is bigger in Texas, right? Right. <laughs> like the cost uh, like the yeah. cost of a name change. To me, it feels like that's just adding insult to injury. Right. If you find out that your name is Smith and you want to take the Smith name, you should be able to do that without it being a legal battle or a legal loophole you have to go through. I know somebody mentioned in the group the other day that they were frustrated because they wanted to get their birth certificate corrected. And the biological father was alive, and he was willing to acknowledge, and they had the DNA test to prove it. And still, the county clerk's office said, nope, we're not doing it without the mother's consent. Somebody over the age of 18, it's their birth certificate, and they got the DNA proof. That's all you should have. It doesn't matter if the biological father agrees to do it, too, but they even had that. And what if she had done it fraudulently? Right. Right? Because some people did put the wrong name intentionally. Wow, you really have your work cut out for you, Catherine. Well, there's a lot that we want to do to make sure that NPEs are supported. I know there's a lot of controversy over what are the legal rights of an NPE when they find their biological family. And let's say they grew up in an impoverished situation and their biological family grew up with Ivy League school degrees. Right, resources. Uh, you know, they're going to have to hash that out in the courts, I'm afraid. I wish there was a simple answer, but there really isn't. So I would really like for the public to understand that all that these MPEs want, they're not coming at you with their hand out. They're coming at you with their hearts out. They just want to know who they are. Yes. And that you've got the answer for us. Yes. Everybody comes at it from first blush with, what do you want from us? You must be after something. And the only thing that they are after is a sense of belonging and a sense of identity that will finally put something to rest. Right. When you're adopted, you know, there is a law, and it's by state, that says you are legally no longer the child of the biological parent. And all rights are forfeited. Right. And so when I am helping somebody send a letter to a biological parent, sometimes I'll include that little notation for them so that right out of the gates they say, I know, based on the fact that I live in Arizona or here or there, that I'm not entitled to anything. So let's just be done with that. And that does help ease into, I do want to meet you or know more. But that doesn't work for NPEs because there isn't anything. and There was no right. original forfeiture. Nope, there is no legal. Mm-hmm. And you are an heir, technically. Yeah. It mean, doesn't mean you want anything, but you are just as much as anyone else. Treating it like a common law marriage. You know, a, a marriage, legal versus common law, there's still a lot of uh, rules that still apply to a common law marriage. And you might think, well, my dad that raised me, he's still my dad. It was a common law situation. He didn't legally adopt me, but he was my dad, and he'll always be my dad. So you've got that whole gray area going back and forth, too. But when it comes down to brass tacks and what the legalities are on it, unfortunately, I think there's going to be we're going to see some very uncomfortable scenarios played out probably in the media over. Yes. Over this sort of situation. I agree with you. One of the things that I've noticed, not only from my own experience in this, but from 
clients that I work with or people that we've interviewed on the podcast, a, a common theme among them is not feeling like they fit into at least part of the family. I got the feeling from your story, Catherine, that you didn't feel like you didn't fit in. That was never actually part of the story. Is that true? That's absolutely true. I never had a clue. Okay. My dad was very good to me. He didn't treat me any different than he did any of the other children. Honestly, I don't think that my dad, and I honestly don't believe that my mother knew that I was a result of whatever happened either. Hmm. And okay. I can explain why I believe that too. But, but no, I wasn't treated any differently than anybody else. And I look so much like my mother that it never even was on the radar that I didn't look like my dad. The oldest brother looks just like my dad. But of all my siblings, I look more like him than anybody else. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, it was never on the radar. I'm glad for you. You seem to be the exception on <laughs> yeah, that particular I'm theme. Out. Are you aware of any other themes that you've seen in the stories that you've read and heard? One is the sense of, I don't really feel like I belong here. There's a lack of fitting in. Uh, there's definitely the universal experience of, I'm not sure who I am now that I know. What does this mean about me? There's the anger well, and one, the grief. One thing that I have heard many people say is the same thing that I have said repeatedly. Until I could see a photograph of my biological father, I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror. Looking in the mirror was like looking at the reflection of a ghost because yeah. I took for granted all my life that the reflection I was looking at was a piece of my mom and a piece of my dad and a piece of their parents. And now when I was looking in the mirror, I could see my mother's reflection, but the rest of it, I didn't know who I was looking at. And yeah. that's a very disconcerting feeling. And I have a lot of people in our group that say, I don't want to look in the mirror. It, it bothers me to even look at myself in the mirror now. I can so agree that is a common that. that we see. Yeah. I, I had that with my names more than the, the reflection, but definitely that too. I, I'm curious to see what other themes are, are going to emerge. I haven't seen anything new yet. It all seems to revolve around the sense of identity. Well, the sense of grief. I see every single person that walks through there is going through one stage or another of grief. Yes. It's so much like a death. Yes. They start off with the anger, absolute raw anger and fury. Most Now, I will say, as you know, there's exceptions to the rule, but there's so much anger in the beginning. And then after yeah. a while, and I had it too, after a while you work through it and you start trying to see things more clearly and you let it marinate and you think about what was it like for them when they were going through all of that. At least for me, I started to feel a little more compassion when I thought about how it was for women in that era. Right. And I started feeling a little more compassion for even the other moms who were nothing like my mother, who were the mothers of NPEs. I started feeling a, a lot more compassion for them because I thought, well, even if they are self-absorbed, even if they were doing what was in their best interest, what's in it for me? You know, even if they did that, at the same time, they were protecting their children from a stigma in our society about illegitimacy, about being a bastard. You know, there was a lot of pressure on women back then. And I can also understand why women rewrote their history in their minds and why they have a hard time facing up to the reality now because they completely reprogrammed their brain to believe something different. Yes, that's true. I wanted to ask you your thoughts on the fathers, either who were not told that they had children or, you know, who missed out on children that they wish they'd known about. And now these children are coming to these men and these men are heartbroken that they missed out on something. Right. And, you know, my, my uncle had that happen to him. He had a son he did not know about. I have heard every perspective you can imagine about the dads in these situations. I've heard of people reaching out to the biological <clears throat> father 
and the biological father saying, I knew she was pregnant. I knew you were probably my kid. I told her to get rid of you, and she didn't. You know, I didn't want anything to do with you then. I don't want anything to do with you now. Right. Yep. Exactly. We, we hear that. Then we hear the other end of the spectrum where somebody says, I was married for 40 years. We never had any children. I always regretted never having children. Now I find out I have a 45-year-old son, and I'm so thankful to know that I have a child now, and I'm just so sorry I wasn't didn't get to be a part of your life. I didn't know about you. If I had known, things would have been different. So you hear about that. And then we hear... The conflicting stories where he comes back and says, I never knew that she was even pregnant. I never knew about you. If I'd known, I would have been there for you. And he seems like a very lovely man. But mom is saying, he knew. I told him. And he Mm -hmm. told me to get rid of you. And he maybe what mom's saying is true. Maybe he was like that back then. And maybe he doesn't want to face up to that now. There's always going to be gray area in whatever somebody, the way that people write history. We hear everything. We hear Mm -hmm. it from one end of the spectrum to the other. Maybe this man was a real jerk when he was 17 years old and figured he'd knock this woman up and he said, get rid of it and walked away. (laughs) And now he's a responsible man and he loves his children and he's so happy to have another child and he doesn't want to face what he had said to her back then. So he just rewrites his own history. Or or maybe she rewrote her own history and he never said that. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, that's a very good point. I spend more time thinking about the men MPEs than I do the fathers, I'll be honest with you, because I feel like the men in our group are the most underserved population there is. Women have been programmed from the beginning of time to express their emotions, and it's okay to cry, it's okay to be upset. And also, we've been programmed that this name that you have right now, it's temporary. You're just borrowing it from your dad because someday you're going to get married and you're going to take your husband's name and that's the name you're going to have for the rest of your life. While men are programmed from the time they're born that we may not have any money, we may not have any property, but this family name has been handed down for thousands of years and it's yours and you're going to pass it down to your sons and their sons and their sons. And now they've had that ripped away from them. And they've been told big boys don't cry. And they've been told to suppress your feelings. So not only are they dealing with the trauma of the NPE experience, They're also dealing with the struggle of realizing that this birthright that they thought they could take for granted as as much as they could take oxygen for granted has been ripped away from them. And I feel like they are the most underserved in our mental health community is the men. Well, our our demographics are we have um, 87% women and 13% men in our group. Well, definitely I see the... The theme of anger and grief, that was there from the beginning for me for certain, and and that's universal among all the NPE or PID experiences. Uh, The other theme that I see emerging often is some alienation from some family, either the known family or the biological family. Rarely do I see it both. But uh, is that something you're seeing more of, people having to kind of fight to be acknowledged? Yes, I've seen that a lot. Yeah. We have members of our group who have expressed that they always had a very loving, supportive relationship with their biological family they grew up with, only to have them completely turn their backs on them as soon as they find out that they are not a full sibling. And that just breaks my heart. But then again, I'm also taking that with a grain of salt because I'm wondering how much dysfunction was there before all this. And and your siblings have now decided to use this as their final excuse to to rid themselves of you. I think that's more likely. Maybe the other side of that coin is the desire for the known family that they grew up with to say, you know, you can't say anything about this. You you can't talk about this openly. And people trying to control the narrative of exactly. the NPE's story and, and suppressing it even further. It's something that Christina and I have been pretty vocal about in our interviews here about the rights to those stories and that 
those of us who are the NPE own the information and own the story. And Absolutely. We should, yeah, we should be able totally to decide who knows and in what capacity. And if we want to go public, we should be able to go public with it. My opinion is that this secret, if you will, mm-hmm. belonged to mom until that child turned 18 years old. Ethically, she should have released it when that child was much younger. Mm-hmm. But she didn't, for whatever her reasons, she didn't. But at the age of 18, she should have been under obligation legally to disclose this to that child at that point and then hand over that secret and say, this is yours now. You can do with it what you want. I hope you don't do anything with it, but it's yours to do what you want. But they don't do that. They think they still own the secret, and they get upset with the child, and that just adds the pain. Yeah, there's can be some manipulation and blocking and you know, and you there's a big conflict for for these people too to really want to share their story but you know, are are feeling or even just seek out the new family, the biological family. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel like they can't because of how it would hurt and impact their uh, known family. Think of our well, previous podcast interview with Katie. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And how that impacted her relationship with her mom and that whole side of the family. Before we go, Catherine, I'm wondering what piece of advice do you have for our NPE community? Those who probably already know about the group, maybe listening, but for those people that are new to this, don't know about our Facebook group and don't really know what they should do with all this status information that they have now. What's your piece of advice for them? Well, the first thing is anytime you have this devastating of a revelation, you need psychological help. You need professional counseling. So seek out a good family therapist that can help you sort out your thoughts and help you find your peace again. The next thing I would strongly recommend is if you're on Facebook, do a search for DNA NPE Gateway and answer the entry question so that you can find your way to our community. If you're not on Facebook, get on Facebook just for this purpose because it will be completely worth it. I am very, very humbled that something that was supposed to start out as a very selfishly motivated uh, (laughs) therapy for myself has turned into something so huge that is helping thousands of people. I'm humbled by it and I'm proud of it because what I keep hearing over and over again in the group is that even though I'm getting counseling, I feel like I'm doing much more healing just from being a part of this community than I ever have been with any counselor. And I think that there's a lot to be said about having that support 24-7 for free from other people who understand and can relate to you. Some bad advice is given in our group yeah. by, by their members, but most of it is really, really good advice. And I just urge everyone, if you're going to be a part of the community, to pick and choose what you want to take to heart. You may not agree with everything that people say, and you can just scroll on by the things you don't agree with. But there's a lot of information in there that can help you sort out your own feelings so that you can find your peace again. And that is our biggest goal and our mission is to help each other get our peace back. That was beautifully said. I'll just add one caveat to that, Catherine, that for those seeking therapy, when you're searching for a therapist and you don't know who to look for, because this is definitely not an issue that most therapists are, are versed or trained in, it's best to find somebody who has some experience with adoption, because that's the closest uh, experience to ours. We get to the I same do. end point, but from different origins. And then the second piece to that is find somebody who also is trained in EMDR. That's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a trauma therapy. And because of the nature of this experience, it is quite traumatic. 
and it can help re-solidify how you see yourself and the kinds of relationships and boundaries that you want to have with anybody in your life, whether they be biological family or known family or anything in between. Speaking to people listening to this podcast who are in the mental health community themselves, I would really love to see some organization done among the entities that certify counselors, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. You probably know more about this than I would, Jody, but I would like to see them come to people like us and say, we want to learn from you so that we can better serve the community who comes to us when they are hurting. I feel like we have a lot that we could do to help give information to people in the mental health community so that they can do this job more effectively. I agree. Because I agree. another, Chloe, you asked earlier about common threads. Another common thread that I see in our group is that more often than not, people will say, well, I went to a therapist, but it was pointless. They didn't help me at all. Right. I went to a therapist myself personally, and he wanted to help me, but every other sentence he would circle back around and say, but deep down inside, you knew something was off, didn't you? Wow. No, I didn't. Wow. And then he'd come <laughs> back around again and go, yeah, but really deep down inside, you knew. And finally, after about the third time he did that, I thought, I I'm wasting my money. Yeah. This man is not going to help me. That was the wrong so, therapist. Yes, you definitely. Right, he was the yeah. wrong person. And I know there's some wonderful therapists out there that are prepared, like you said, that have training with adoptees. That's what we need. You're right. But we need more of that. We need a lot more people trained properly. And I do believe that the first thing they need to do is come to us and talk to us so that they can gather the information they need so they can be more effective in their practice. Right. I think that's a perfect first step. And everything that you just said about retraining or adding on to training for professionals is exactly why I started focusing on this as a specialty in my practice. I, I was compelled to do more, to learn more for myself, but also to help others. Because I knew that this was not a population that was going to be well served by the professionals out in the community. There, there just isn't enough experience with it yet. So one of my goals is to become expert enough in this to be able to go out and provide those trainings to other counselors. We're not going to get I think it. That's wonderful. <laughs> We're and not going to get it. I would love to volunteer to help you with that in any way I can. Oh boy! Well, I oh boy! Will take you up on that. <laughs> You're taking on another one. <laughs> and in the meantime, therapists out there that aren't trained, if these people are coming to you, mm -hmm. just listen and be compassionate. Sometimes people just yes. need an ear, and you know, um, and you can do more damage. And don't and say and don't this say. doesn't change anything about you. <laughs> yes, it does. Don't say that. <laughs> it changes everything. It changes, changes everything. everything. Well, on that note, Catherine, I really appreciate you taking your time out on your Sunday to talk to us and help reach out to more people. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it, too. Thank you. I'm glad that you gave me this opportunity to talk about this. It's a really important subject. We hoped you liked this episode, and if you did, please give it a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. If you want to get in touch with Christina or me, you can find us at sexliesandthetruth.com. I'm Jody Klugman-Rab. Thanks for listening. If you are a fan of Sex, Lies, and the Truth and want to support us, you can do that through Patreon. Patreon is a really cool platform where fans of shows like ours can pledge a small amount each month even just a few dollars, to support the show. You can find us there at www.patreon.com forward slash sex lies and the truth.